This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. With the legalization of recreational cannabis that went into effect last year can open doors for your career. If you are already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, well, the University of Rhode Island has a program to help you become highly competitive in numerous areas of the cannabis industry. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the certificate program is 100% online, and it can be completed in two semesters. The next application deadline for the summer 2023 session is April 4th, and courses start on May 9th. You can learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis, or give them a call at 401-874-5280. So tonight is the State of the Union, and look, I mean, much like the State of the State, which I... I talked about here on the podcast in terms of Rhode Island state of the state a couple of weeks ago. A lot of it is just political theater. I mean, let's be honest about it. You know, it's, it, it, you know, you've got everyone packed into the chamber and the big grand entrances, you know, and there's somewhat of a fashion element to it and who's sitting with who and who hates who and who loves who. And, you know, all of that is at play, but there's also, it's, it's really important because it lays out an agenda and I think this year, especially for President Biden, we're looking at a scenario where he's facing an opposition party that's in control of, of the House chamber. And in presenting particularly some of his economic goals, that's going to require um, you know, a different mode for President Biden. So to break all of this down with us is the one, the only Emily Lynch professor at the University of Rhode Island in the political science department. And um, I mean, we go way back. We, we, do. we were we were sitting in political science classes together at URI way back when. And now you've made it big time. You run oh, you run the world of political science in many ways, in my mind. Cool. Thank you, Bill. Thank thank you for that. That kind introduction. Uh, much appreciated. But uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the State of the Union address with you. What do you think the big thing to watch for is tonight? Okay. Well, I, I, I think maybe we should be looking at messages about bipartisanship. Mm -hmm. And I, that is something that is not uncommon in state of the union addresses. Uh, There was some research by the congressional research service that said that one of the common themes of most state of the union addresses is bipartisanship. So um, especially as Biden faces a Republican majority in the House, I believe uh, we will see him trying to essentially reach across the aisle. It makes sense. And and it's at a time where, look, the the American public, I haven't actually seen polling data on this, so it is just kind of winging it. But, you know, my instinct is that there's there's going to always be there's people who are entrenched in their camps and you hear it on any issue. I mean, take the balloon over the last couple of days here right? where it's like, you know, oh, Biden's, a, you know, he's incompetent. He should have shot it down, you know, over Montana or whatever it is. And then there's the Biden defenders who say, no, 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 he should you know, do exactly what his generals say. And then there's other people that's, that, that really just say, look, I don't really know. It's an intelligence thing. It's probably mostly classified information. I don't really know. But I sense more people are moving into a point where either they're indifferent or they want to see action. And that's what, if anything, that the Biden doctrine may end up when we look back on it. The question will be, is he able to get things done? And he's at a point now that is very critical in terms of getting things done. Oh, definitely. And I, I and you bring up some really important points. And uh, I think the key point here 
that you mentioned is that this level of polarization has affected how individuals perceive current events, such as like the spy balloon, right? That we hear um, Republicans, Democrats with any issue that's on the table, really uh, interpreting it based on their um, party and what the party is, you know, what their messaging is. Uh, so I think that's definitely something uh, no matter what Biden says, you're going to have different interpretations uh, uh, of what his, um, you know, what were the the positive aspects of his speech and what were those those negative aspects. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think that if we look at uh, last year, for instance, and I think this is going to be a big part of his speech is that, you know, he's going to cr- uh, claim credit for some of this bipartisan legislation that got through, right? And I know it's it worked because Democrats had the majority in the, the House and the Senate. So it's going to be a lot more difficult to see some of this legislation the next couple of years, especially as we look to 2024, right? And the presidential election. Absolutely. And you know, one of the big things right now is that the in the New York Times today that the headline Biden to lay down economic challenge to House Republicans in his first State of the Union address since the GOP took the lower chamber. The president will call for higher taxes on the wealthy and more social aid to the needy. So right there, I mean, that's an obvious divide. That's an obvious sort of age old as long as there's there's been the modern Republican and Democratic parties, this divide of like. All right, who pays their quote unquote fair share and and how much do we help the needy and who counts and qualifies as needy? Does that mean anybody who has student loan debt? Does that mean anybody who makes under a hundred thousand dollars? I mean, does it mean people who are unhoused? So all that definition uh work is gonna have to eventually be figured out. But I mean, it'll be interesting just to see the applause. And, you know, does anybody act like a fool like last year, like some of the the alt-right uh members of the chamber? you know, in terms of booing or shouting down the president and these types of issues, which I think most people would agree, you know, if you just went out and did generic polling and it's certainly been done over the years, most people agree that, yeah, the wealthy should pay their fair share and a healthy society helps those in need. But how much? Right. I mean, that's that's the issue when we look at public opinion polls of, um, yeah, everybody's in agreement. Yeah, they well, a lot of people say we should uh, lower taxes, right? That's, that's a lot of people would say that in polls, but then they also want, uh, better education, more funding for education, right? Better roads. So that's, that's the issue is that, yeah, you have to play that game of, of, um, give and take, right? And, um, that's not always clear and everybody has different agendas and different priorities and different values, Right. Um, So I think it goes back to, again, like what I said earlier of how are these parties framing um, the these issues and what's most important. What about Russia, Ukraine? Where does that fit into all this? Yeah, I I think that's going to get brought up. This was a big part of Biden's speech last year. Um, I believe there was uh, I think this morning you have guests, you have the ambassador of Ukraine who will be there. Um, So so I definitely think we will you should uh, you know, everybody should be paying attention and listening to how Biden talks about um, 
uh, Ukraine and support for Ukrainians, um, and as well as China too. I think because of this this recent publicity about the spy balloon, I think we should pay attention to what he has to say because I think there's that expectation that he needs to to discuss that and national security should will probably be um, a big part of his his speech. Um, I, but I think it's interesting how we're focusing on the spy balloon and even like on WPRO, Mark Janest was discussing how, um, you know, maybe the, the focus should be more on like TikTok, right? That mm-hmm. that this is, there, there are other parts of, um, you know, the national security that, that we should be we're thinking about besides the spy balloon. Yeah, like well, that that's for sure. He he kind of said that on not kind of he did say that on both Friday <laughs> and yesterday on the Dan York show uh, with right. us, and 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 basically said, look, this is just part of the day to day spying that takes place and has taken place for for a long time. You know, I'm reminded of the axis of evil, George W. Bush, where yeah. Iran, Iraq, and North Korea, you know, are supposedly going to you know they're very close to you know coming over and bombing the the U.S. and overthrowing the free world as we know it. Of course, there is a lot of truth to um, the national security aspects of, and and there was in dealing with at least Iran and North Korea. Certainly, uh, you can make an argument, not Iraq as we look back on it. But, you know, ramping up the rhetoric of, hey, our enemies, you know, Russia, China, North Korea, uh, whoever it may be, whoever you want to put into that alliance, you know, how much do you think Biden will ramp that up versus try to tamper it down, given that unlike North Korea and Iran, we're talking about two nuclear superpowers who at least at minimum have well seem to have military capability that in an offensive context can be quite destructive if we push the button too far? Right. No, I mean, I'm not a foreign policy expert. That is not my area, international relations. So, um, but I think that if we look in the context, like you were mentioning of like Iraq and um, public opinion and and how we have uh, political leaders, that if they can have a like one message and if it's, if elites buy into it and if both Republicans and Democrats are kind of on the same page, then that's more powerful. But if we start seeing like we did see um, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, that there was a break, there's a there that convergence changed, um, then then you're you're not going to have like Republicans, Democrats on the same page. So I think it'll be interesting to pay attention to that. Um, but I um, I definitely think that, yeah, national security we will will be a discussion, but there are other issues that Biden is going to cover. Um, I think that one thing, too, we have to keep in mind is I'm kind of going to go back to kind of like the uh, maybe, you know, the injured American politics kind of what is the state of the union address and um this is one of the constitutional powers that that Biden has. It's explicitly within Article Two, right? So um, he has a powerful ability as the president to. Um, he has this, you know, this bully pul- bully pulpit where you don't have any other leader in the United States that has this ability, right? Besides the president to say this speech today, and you have all of the uh, representatives, all the branches in one place. Um, and he is able to discuss what he thinks is most important and highlight what he's done that um, that we should be paying, you know, that we should 
uh, appreciate, right? He's going to uh, take that credit for all of that bipartisan legislation. This obviously won't be the official or formal announcement of his campaign, but I think a lot of people will see it as that if, if in fact, and it certainly seems like he's going to run, you know, Commerce Secretary Raimondo gave him a pretty uh, solid endorsement on a local news station here uh, over over the weekend. And, you know, it just seems like all things point to a Biden uh, rerun the Democratic Party trying to shape the pathway of primaries in a way that would basically make it impossible to challenge him. Uh, the vice president doesn't seem to have a great uh, bit of momentum now, a pretty negative piece in the New York Times. Pete Buttigieg is, you know, he's not being viewed in the type of light that I think a lot of people expected him to be. So Biden seems like the guy and he needs to lay it out tonight in a way that convinces more people that he is the guy. I mean, again, you'll never convince some of these people that are just like, you know, totally anti-Biden. But the rest of us who are just assessing things from a somewhat neutral standpoint. We want to hear what he's accomplished and where he wants to go. What's his grand vision? Exactly. And I think that something that uh, we will need to also pay attention to is what the Republican response is and kind of going into like what you, you know, you're just mentioning where we have an 80-year-old president, right? I think age, and then you have the contrast of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's younger, um, and um, obviously, so you have that the age contrast, but you also have the, the blatantly different ideologies. So, um, but I think that is something that the Democratic Party is going to have to handle in assessing and 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 dealing with what that seems to be one of the main complaints, right? So you have a president, um, if he's reelected till he's 86, right? So um, so I think this is something that the Democratic Party also, like when we're thinking back to the last presidential election, uh, Biden was seen and perceived as being, you know, the safe candidate, the candidate that could beat Trump. Um, and you're right, I don't see any other Democratic leaders that are kind of stepping up, maybe Gavin Newsom, um, and from California, the governor of California. So um, that may be a, a potential name. Uh, but yeah, I think um, I, I it sounds like based on what we've, you know, what what the pundits and others are talking about, that there may be an announcement in the spring that Biden um, is going to be up for reelection. Definitely. I think the only other name that really pops up is Marianne Williamson, you know, the, the author and spiritual leader and activist. And, you know, how much momentum can can she really get going up against the machine? It's like, you know, we've seen this pl this movie play out before. And even with someone with the momentum of Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders, you know, you saw on Super Tuesday what happened. The, the party said, yeah, you know what? We're not going to we don't need you. We don't need this. We can we know we have an operation that can win. Uh, even without the will of the people behind it and the consolidation around Biden, you know, basically just made it impossible for for Sanders or anybody else to have a path to victory. Right. Even with the one of the most diverse um, uh, group of primary candidates in the Democratic Party that we've ever seen. Right. Um, that still um, we that Biden prevailed. What do you think, you know, in terms of like just even your students, are people excited about national politics right now there's so much that's gone into activism whether it be 
from from a social justice standpoint and a wide array of conversations to practical um, almost self-activism in a way with with housing prices and you know things of that sort and, and just sort of a, a shift in into a new type of um, energy that that's out there do people really does anybody care what what president biden says tonight do you think or are they more interested in the commercials that'll air um before and after the speech right yeah so so we have that concern of like the commercials um i think that <laughs> it will hear a lot about the guests that who are, you know, that's who people may remember versus what nice. the message is of, of Biden. But I will, it'll be a test. I'll, I'll ask my students uh, this week, you know, and to see how many students actually paid attention and, and watched it or even knew it was happening tonight. And, you know, that, um, but I, I do think that the students are interested, especially in issues related to criminal justice and environmental justice, environmental issues. Um, I see students really caring about those those issues. Um, but I think they're still dealing with, you know, the post-COVID effects of, of, you know, they have a lot going on. A lot of my students are, are working besides going to school. And um, so, you know, they have a lot of demands. And uh, I, I try to, you know, I recommend them to go to their local, local and national media that is reputable, um, and uh, to to pay attention and how important it is that they should be paying attention to these issues that may not seem relevant now, but um, but but they are, and and they will be as they, you know, once they graduate too. Last question here, and uh, again, appreciate very much making the time this morning here last not last minute i mean it's not like i was like 5 30 this morning do you want to do it but you know wasn't planned for months or anything like that so i appreciate it um you know from from your standpoint as a as a political scientist as somebody who looks at things from you know you're not part of the inside baseball you know you're you're not somebody who works for you know the biden administration and then went into or worked for an administration and then went into the field. You really are in a unique position where you can assess this stuff in the context of a historical timeline, in the context of understanding students' perspective, other academics' perspective. You're a member of the media now. You're on a lively experiment on PBS. And, you know, from your standpoint, um, you know, how what what is this moment in American politics all about? How what do you what do you think people look back on and say, you know, you know, I can you know, you can think back to for me, kind of George H.W. Bush, but certainly Clinton, Bush, Obama, obviously, and Trump. And there's a vibe. There's a memory that comes with it. How important is tonight's speech to establishing Biden's uh, doctrine, vibe, how it will be remembered? And what do you make of all that? I mean, that that's a really good question. I think that the state of the union address is this one, you know, important, you know, you have this speech each year in which he can lay out what his legislative priorities are and they will be assessed based on how departments, agencies, Congress, the public, how they react to what his plans are and if they will indeed give him support behind some of these priorities. And I think it's going to affect 
2024 and what his messaging will be as as he you know makes this decision and, and it seems to um you know what we uh, perceive that he will be running again in 2024 at least his party setting up his party for su success um i think it's also where you know we we're talking about an economy that um is looks like it's rebounding i think that might be another theme of 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 Biden in this speech to pay attention to. And, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion of a recession and it, which very well, we could still see that, but there are some indications, economic indicators that's just otherwise the debt ceiling. So I'm throwing a lot out there. I know that I'm, you wanted me to like, give me, give you like this one, bring it on, give it a, give a liner. Um, so I think that, uh, his, his economic message is going to be important too, and set him up for success as well. Up to like what what is going to happen with these debt ceiling talks um, with Kevin McCarthy, the you know the Speaker of the House. So um, yeah, I think that reflecting on um, COVID and and getting us through you know get through COVID too is something that defines this this time right yeah. and that's the lens in which we're perceiving a lot of um these these current events these issues yeah no question about it professor emily lynch university of rhode island political science department hey this was fun i think we should do it again yeah that's yeah this is really fun thanks for having me